He is risen. We had a little trouble with the this mic in the early service, so we'll see how things go there. And you have a handheld if I need it. Okay. <clears throat> My scripture reading today is not maybe traditional um, reading from one of the Gospels, the story of the morning of the resurrection. Instead, <clears throat> it's from St. Paul in both the letter to the Romans and in the letter to the Corinthians. <clears throat> this is Paul's explanation <clears throat> of the gospel. Really what you have in the New Testament, you have the four gospels, which are the four different eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus, including the cross event and the resurrection. Then the rest of the New Testament is the interpretation of that event of Jesus' life, but specifically his death on the cross, his resurrection, and what that has purchased for us. And so <clears throat> this is Paul explaining why Jesus came to earth, why he died, what does it mean that he rose again for us, what are we to do with it? So in Romans <clears throat> chapter 5, we'll just um, read a few verses beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Then to verse 15, For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through that one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the other one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, that where sin abounded, grace, grace abounded much more. 
so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember the contrast here uh, between one man who brought sin, one man who brought righteousness. And then as we look at 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 15, we'll begin our reading just with verse 20. Read several verses. Paul's writing in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians to correct a bad error that had cropped up in that troubled church. And it was the false teaching that there's no such thing as a resurrection, that there is no resurrection from the dead. And Paul's not only pretty hard on them, but he's also surprised in a sense. He's, what are you talking about? The whole business of Christianity, the cornerstone, is Jesus defeated Satan and death and hell by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. So what are you doing teaching that there's no such thing as resurrection? I won't go through all of his argument, but his conclusion is just this. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died, Christians. For since by man came death, by man, another man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, first of all, we're confronted here with a stark contrast. I'm unable, I wish I could think of stronger English words than that. But this is a stark contrast. It's only found in Paul, only in these two passages in Romans and then in 1 Corinthians do we find this comparison, this stark contrast between being in Adam or in Christ. He goes back and forth between what that means. This stark contrast then is making this as plain as I can make it. Adam was the father, the head of creation. He was the first made, and then, of course, along with Eve, Adam then was the entire human race's representative. He was created, and I don't want to get in the weeds here, but he and Eve were created righteous. The spontaneous inclination of their hearts were to love, serve, and obey God. Now, he created them with a free will, the power to choose. And when God made them righteous, they needed to endorse their created righteousness by making it ethical 
meaning they confirmed. They had nothing to do with the fact that God created them righteous and with an inclination to righteousness. They could, if you wanted to use a word that's not really very good, but there was no credit for them being righteous. God made them righteous. They didn't have anything to do with it. But he set up the simplest test he could set up so they had a way to exercise their free choice. If I don't have some way to exercise my free choice, I really don't have free choice. So God chose the simplest test he could come up with. He filled the garden, which was their dwelling place, with apparently hundreds and hundreds or thousands, as far as we know, of beautiful, various trees and so forth. All of that, he said, that's your diet. That's what you are to eat. You can eat of every single tree in this massive garden. There's just one called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You leave that one alone. Don't eat from that. If you do, dying, you will die. That's his literal words. Meaning, two kinds of death. Spiritual death, which then begets much later, physical death. So Adam and Eve, if they were to disobey God and rebel against his simple little commandment, eat of the thousands of other trees, just leave that one alone. God wasn't being sadistic and picking at them and hoping to trip them up. And He did the dead level best he could do to balance two things. One, creating an opportunity for them to exercise their free will. You've got to be able to exercise it or you don't have free will. But on the other hand, make it such a low, easy threshold that God, the truth is, God stacked the deck in favor of Adam and Eve choosing to obey him. He made it so easy. All he did was to bend them toward exercising that free will correctly. Second thing, if you're the devil, and there was a devil then, he had been in rebellion against God and been cast out of heaven. If you're the devil, the devil has had then a desperate task. And I mean desperate. The clock was ticking the only way that the enemy could pollute the hearts of this chief of all creations, which was us, we're the crowning creation, humanity. The only way the devil could ruin that whole race is he had to get to the head of the race. If he fooled around somehow didn't get Adam, and Adam was the head of the race, if he didn't get Adam to sin, he was done. It wouldn't do any good to stall around till Adam and Eve had children and then get them to fall. He had to get to the fountainhead 
and pollute it so that from then on, the entire stream would be polluted. So if you're the devil, you're on a stopwatch and you've got to do your best to lie, deceive, to get that being, those beings that God made in his own image and likeness, get them to eat of that tree. And so he chose wisely, I shouldn't say really wise for the devil, cunningly, he chose to get to Adam who he had to get to through Eve. Now that's another whole sermon which I'm going to avoid like the plague. But he gets to us by the natural affection and attraction that he put within us. He created us to be attracted to the opposite sex. The devil takes advantage of that. Emotions, feelings, affection can often trump reason and also trump moral choices. And in this case, as in a lot of subsequent cases, it worked. Adam really, after discovering Eve had eaten of the tree and been deceived, Adam really had a choice there. Now, I'm speculating a bit, but not too much. If Eve ate of that and Adam didn't, Eve, I believe, would have simply have been destroyed and God would have created another helpmate. Adam was, the, Adam was the goal. Adam had a choice between Eve, who we know, which can't go into the Hebrew here, just to say this, he was overcome with affection for Eve. When God brought her to him, his exclamation is just, wow. He chose her over sticking with God. The devil accomplished what he was after to get the head of the race to disobey God and then all subsequent generations clear down to 2023 are born no longer with Adam and Eve's righteous nature but they passed on to each of us a nature bent to evil, bent to sin bent to rebellion. And so the race then was permanently polluted at the head. I was talking to several people during the break between services, during fellowship time, and a couple who had family here today, and among them a, a new, I think maybe a year old little boy, cute little boy, just cute, but depraved. <laughs> now, and that wrecks the whole story. But they were telling me how he's one. 
slightly over one, telling me how he would fight with other kids in daycare or whatever else, and there were 785 billion toys, and he wants the one that the other kids got. They didn't have to sit down and train him to be that way. None of us have had to do that. Train our kids to fight, be selfish, scream, get mad, deceive us even when they don't even understand what deceit is. Our second son was put down for his nap, and you know how that goes. You're always going back. You hate get back in bed, you know, lay down, trying to get some kind of peace. And for the third or fourth time, you hear him with his brother, older brother, fooling around. You go in and caught him too far away that he could quickly get back into bed and present, pretend he was taking a nap. So he just gets to the end of the bed and still on his feet, just leans over at his kind of his shoulders and put his head on and close his eyes. Now, A, there's a condition there that think, they think parents are really dumb. But beyond that, he didn't even know what to call it. But David did in the Psalms. David said, deceivers, liars, go astray from infancy. We've got that in there. Paul gives a term to that. He describes it as being in Adam. In other words, all of us, when we're physically born into this world, are born with Adam's likeness, and we're part of, the, of Adam's race. We're no longer born with, as Adam and Eve had, a, an inclination in their hearts towards righteousness and obedience and love of God. Instead, it's an opposite inclination. I watched yesterday or the day before. Um, I really liked, I support law enforcement more than I can say, probably. But there was a, I think it was, I don't know what state, there was a sheriff being interviewed. And he was mad. <laughs> a good mad. And, you know, he was lashing out at this woke culture and the, the going easy on everything and no punishment for anything and no consequences for anything. And he just kind of had it. <clears throat> and he was pointing out that all of, the, I, all of the diagnoses that we get today, well, it's poverty, it's, you know, it's the schools, it's racism, and it's this, and it's that. And, it's, and I was thinking while he was talking, this is a good place for him to say, it's the heart. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful beyond anything and desperately wicked. Who can even know it? Who can plumb its depths? The next verse, I, the Lord, know the heart. The heart's our problem. And in the heart, we're born into this world and we're in Adam, which means 
that we are of Adam's value system. Let me just say then, what God begins to unfold here, and he unfolds it through Paul, is that there are two races, and only two. Now, I know we say, we can say, well, there are how many other races, how many other ethnicities, and you can add, I, I am Irish and Welsh is my background. Our, you know, my wife is a member of a race that's created more wars in Europe. Um, problems. The only hope, of course, for my children was good, pure Irish Welsh, okay? Morgan, Welsh coal miners. Anyway, our hearts are the problem. And when we're in Adam, it's not just being a physical and uh, physical descendant of Adam. In Adam means I am part of his polluted stream. There's several factors. <clears throat> Adam, <clears throat> Adam's race, everyone's still in it. <clears throat> Adam's race is a dying race. Not just physically. We're all dying physically. But spiritually, we're dead to God, dead to the things of God. We're dead, as the scripture says, in trespasses and sins. And in the pollution of our nature, we're dead. Second, we can say of Adam's race, we're depraved. Initially in the garden, the Holy Spirit dwelt in Adam and Eve's hearts. And they were inclined to righteousness. When they sinned, they lost that. So the human race was first, and this would follow instantly. But the human race was first deprived of the life-giving presence of God. And immediately in the wake of being deprived of the presence of God, in the place of that inclination to righteousness was into that vacuum, depravity, an inclination to evil, to rebellion, to self-sovereignty, to self-rule, to self-absorption, self-centeredness. That, does that typify our culture today? Self. And we now excessively, inordinately love ourselves. And so God, not only other delegated authorities, parents, teachers, police that are delegated, not only is there something in here that rises up and bucks against human authority, but ultimately God, who requires of every one of us you abandon yourself and you give yourself to me wholeheartedly. 
I built you, I made you, I own you, you serve me, I will bless and fulfill and love you, but I own you. God ends up becoming our chief enemy. He's the biggest threat to our self-sovereignty because he says, no, I own you. You, this is the path I want you to walk. And we go, no, I'm walking that. I don't want to. I'm going this way. That's being in Adam. The third thing we could say about being Adam's race, we're disinherited. We have been written out of the will. You realize that? Adam and Eve broke the relationship between them and God. And God said, you'll die. You'll be separated from me. And what did he do? Not only did he pronounce that curse upon them, but he ran them out of the garden of Eden and he established, he, he put an angel, it says, with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life that they ate from each day, keeping them alive. He cut off their access to life. They died. They died that day spiritually. They were severed from God. But second, it took 900 years plus. It, but it says, and Adam died. The soul that sins, it will die. What Jesus came to do was to establish a new race. And he is called in Scripture the second Adam. He came to be head of a different race. Adam's race is condemned. It's headed for destruction. All God's doing then, he sent his son Jesus to be the head, the fountainhead, of a new race. Now, the call to us, there is, in addition to this dark contrast, there's a very simple choice. God presents it to us. Get out of Adam's race, which is dying and depraved and headed for destruction, and become a part of this new race with a new head, Jesus. Well, how do you do that? I can't help the fact that I came into this world, born into this world, a descendant of Adam. I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with the fact that um, there was in my heart and in every one of our hearts an inclination to look and act and follow and behave just like our father, Adam. Almost every one of us in here we can see family pictures and we see a resemblance. Especially if you have, I've seen pictures of my grandfather and even great-grandfather who I never met either of them. They were gone before I was born. But I can see a family resemblance. 
we spiritually all look like Adam. We have a family resemblance. Jesus says, get out of that race. That race is condemned. But you're not hopeless because there's a new race headed by Jesus. And you get out of Adam's race and into Jesus' race to God's fatherhood by what? I hope this makes sense. Jesus said, you have to be born again. You were born once, and that was into Adam's race, all of us. Now he said, how do you get out of that? How do you get transferred into another race and be in Christ? You have to be born again, born a second time. What does that mean? It means that I, under the influence of God's grace, become aware of my sins and my rebellion against God and my pathway that is opposed to Him. And hopefully conviction for that and shame for that and weariness with that will grow until I come to the place where I forsake it and I bow the knee to Jesus and I repent and tell him how deeply sorry I am for rebelling against him and his commandments and his way. And I put my faith in him that he will forgive me. He will send his spirit into my heart, infusing life once again, bringing me back to life. In fact, another Bible term and theology term, regeneration. The new birth, that's a synonym for the new birth, regeneration. It's to restore life where there was once death. So God brings us, he, he births us into a new spiritual race. And we are to look like the head of our race. Jesus. The Bible talks about being Christ-like everywhere. I've noticed a lot of ads lately, um, and we, we, need, we need them. But during this season, a lot of ads about loving your neighbors yourself, loving your enemies, doing good to those that are unkind to you, and so forth. What is that? It's the core of the gospel that instead of looking like our father, Adam, we get out of that race, we are translated into God, the father's race, Jesus, our high priest, and we ought to quickly begin and growingly increase in looking like him. That's what Christ-likeness is all about. John even uses a strong word. In 1 John, he uses the word that we, the Greek word that we translate, facsimile. 
It's a likeness to Jesus. I hope that makes sense to us. There are, there's something for us to think about here. Every one of us, there's no exception, every one of us here are in one of only two races. And yes, there are, I don't know how many races in the world and ethnicities, but in reality, there's two races, Adam Christ. Which one are we in? If I'm in Adam's, I better be getting out of it. I better get into Jesus' race by being born again. You don't, you don't, I don't think anybody here would be nuts enough to do this, but I've often thought how weird it would be, and it's a, I think it's a good spiritual illustration. You ever driven by a park or, you know, whatever, and there's a bunch of balloons tied to some pole or whatever. And there may be some kind of a sign, Smith Reunion. Well, my name's not Smith. But if I just pull up, you know, park the car and get out and just saunter over to the Smith reunion and I get myself a paper plate and I get in line and I start, you know, loading up the fried chicken and whatever else. That's crazy. People do that every day, spiritually. They've not been born again. They don't belong with the Smiths. But they just decide, I'm going to be better act better, and so I'm going to load up at the, the Jesus reunion. But I don't belong there. I don't look like them. I don't bear resemblance because I'm not a part of the family. So I can't just kind of decide I'm going to go through some sort of a change and just gradually get in. I'd be born into it. Then I look like I belong at the Morgan reunion or wherever, the Jesus reunion. Yeah, he's got that resemblance. Which race then are we in? Have you been born from above? If you haven't, I think we know it. If you have, you absolutely know it. There's no such thing as God sneaking up on our blind side and saving us. Have a, having us be born again. That can't happen without it being a watershed event in our life. Something we never forget. And it marks a radical, radical change. I must have it. I must know it. I must be certain. And I must maintain that. Remember this. I don't mean to give bad news, but if Adam and Eve created righteous, holy, clean, pure, and with a spontaneous inclination toward righteousness of God, and they had no memory of sin, 
there was no environment of sin. If they could fall through an exercise of their free will from that lofty state to depravity and spiritual death and alienation from God, even if you and I have been born again, we can fall from that state. I have to maintain that and continue to obey God and trust Him and follow Him. So which race this morning are we in? And if you know that you're not in Christ's race, what will you do about it? Let's bow our heads. We'll just take a moment to, in the privacy of your own heart, think on and ask God to help you understand, wh where am I really at? What race am I a part of? Um, am I in Christ's race?